pandemic related or not we're hearing a lot of bad news around layoffs recession market slowdown hiring freezes and more as problem solvers we need to question everything around us and equip ourselves with information skills and what to be ready about and expect in this new normal in this episode i ask questions to karthi subaram who is the chief instructor of design and product management at experience school she has varied experience in designing more than 140 plus products and conducting 400 plus master classes and holds 19 patents over a period of 18 years of experience in design she is a technologist turned multidisciplinary product designer and design educator focused on human cognition and behaviors her work focuses on designing meaningful systems with an em- emphasis on experience design I'm so excited for this episode. Talk about the bigger picture on how to equip ourselves and move forward in this new normal. This is the Ayurvedi podcast and I'm your host Madhuri, speaking and asking questions to designers and product managers to learn and grow in problem solving careers. Let's get started here. The context is this consequences are one aspect which is we know that you know because of covid and all it has kind of moved into uh, it has been pushed into uh, the markets are falling and all of those things it's not just those influences it's also we've been expecting this recession for quite some time somehow in between it skipped 2017 18 it was like a lull but it kind of skipped and now it has come back in full force obviously so how do we go about this as a design industry and you know the perspectives that we could gain and of course many people are getting laid off how do we be forever employable those kind of things mm-hmm. okay all right tough things to talk about i i would like to start with a disclaimer that i'm not an economist i i don't come from that background but i'm going to talk purely out of uh, common sense um the so called common sense so that's how i would like to kind of uh, share my views on how to really look at a recession i think i have been through three of them so it kind of gives an idea <laughs> talking about somebody and really going through it experientially are two different things so i would like to share personal experiences see a designer's job is always about standing in the present and kind of looking at the past data and really seeing how can i you know look at the future right it's more a forecasting job it's more a imagination job so the recession is no different in that way so you're standing right now in the present you have looked at the past and you are kind of predicting that you are getting into a recession we human beings have this brilliant ways of talking about things and something is great we kind of celebrate it and talk about it when something is a little difficult we kind of put it into a box and call it oh my god this is bad good stuff like that but if you really look at a cycle there is nothing good bad about it it's just a cycle it just comes and goes right so everything starting from our solar system to your body to to the viruses everything is cyclical so you cannot really um you know work against the cycle it's intelligence to kind of understand what really 
a recession is. I think that's where we should start and really talk about it from like a designer and not in terms of uh, economics and stuff like that, which I don't know, I will not talk about. So I, I think we should start from the definition of what is a recession because a lot of people have different different de uh, definitions for the same and i have uh, i have seen with my eyes what it can <laughs> i also seen it in my paycheck and stuff like that if you're okay we will start from there because when you don't even know it's a recession it's it's just another word yeah it's the right point to start with because we would have a same claim to begin with so let's begin there Okay, all right. So if you kind of really go by a macroeconomic way of uh, a definition per se, right? Your National Bureau of Economic Research, your NBER, the way it talks about it, it'll be very, very different the way we talk about uh, recession. There's a mere mortal way of recession and there is a, uh, there is a real definition of a recession. So if you kind of look at it, macroeconomics look at a recession is it kind of sees okay how is the gdp looking like right your is there a significant in decline in the economic activity in terms of joblessness your your economic activity is down the demand has gone down so it's it's actually visible it 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 will be visible in the gdp and that is when we kind of characterize it as a recession right so your production will go, uh, go down, your uh, retail, wholesale, everything will be affected. Your, your real income will go down. So that is ideally what is a macroeconomic way of really looking at a recession. Uh, if it lasts for a few months, we call it as a recession. If we last a little longer, we call it as a depression. We don't want to get there. So it's basically basically a downfall in the economic activity. So in, in just simple English, what, what does the recession mean is all businesses, if you really look at it, right? If, if there is one um, main concept that we should touch from economics, it's basically supply and demand. In fact, even between supply and demand, I actually will start from demand because if you cannot really have a demand, you have no reason to have a supply. So demand generation is the core of any business. And um, if you don't have a demand, even if you have a supply, it doesn't matter, right? And that's what happens. I would say that it, during a recession time, the demand comes down. And because of that, even if you have supply, even if, if there, is, there is core competence, even if there is enough to really help a, a particular demand, because there is no demand, it's not needed. So that's, that's how I would uh, kind of put it. So if you kind of look at the share market, the way they talk about it, the bear cycles, the bull cycles, right? I mean, what does it mean? When you have really good demand, it's called a bull cycle. It's a bull market. And typically this lasts about seven to nine years. Um, whereas a bear market is where your demand goes down. It, it plummets. And that is pretty much where you will start seeing okay, there is no demand, which means supply is not needed. It's not that we don't have the supply. It's not needed, right? Between three months to one year is pretty much what a bear market goes through. If it goes beyond a point, like one year and above, then we are entering into depression. So that's pretty much where things start, right? To start going south. If you kind of want to characterize, how does a recession really look like, right? 
So people are afraid to spend at that time. They don't want to spend because they want to optimize uh, their whatever they have, right? So if you look at large companies, any company for that matter, they will go through a lot of budget cuts. Um, they will try. So the word, you know, uh, being efficient, effective, optimized is is becomes the mantra uh, during um, a recession. They will say we don't need so many people. We don't need to produce so much, which means we don't need to. Uh, buy raw materials, which means we don't need to. So like this, the cycle keeps going on. And it's like only the oxygen will be left. <laughs> Everything else will be stripped away. So that's pretty much how a recession characterizes a particular economic activity. A lot of times, you know, um, depending upon the kind of business you are in, things can vary a little bit. But this is the crux of how really things happen during this cycle. Yeah. So if something comes and, for example, why are we talking about a virus and a recession? But it's just a small virus. Why, why does it really, you know, take us into uh, a complete uh, recession? Or some economists are actually fearing that we may get into a depression. After Great Depression, this could be the, the longest depression that we may get into. Again, um, no... Mm, these are just forecasts. These are just predictions. So there is nothing really solid. There's no data for it. But why are they saying that? Because because of the virus, there is lockdown across the world, across the world, which means that, see, there are, there are some things that you can work from home. We are all IT people and we kind of, you know, uh, romanticize this working from home. Imagine, you know, uh, how does a restaurant work? How does a production factory work? How does a pharma work? Uh, how do we produce medicines? Other medicines are not needed because those patients are not uh, even, you know, uh, we are in a period where we can't even take care of a few things. So people are like, stop, stop a lot of things. So one will affect the other. So it's like a domino effect. And that's pretty much what is happening with the virus because activity has slowed down and nations across the globe are, are shutting down. Uh, it's literally turning off a country, right? And that is, we haven't done this in, in the history of the world. This is the second time next to World War II, we are postponing um, something as big as Olympics. So that's a lot. And no wonder they have been thinking about it like, oh my God, we'll postpone it by one year. Imagine how much money Japan would have spent if it doesn't have deep pockets. Imagine what a country will go through. And that's pretty much what is happening. So it's not that the virus caused it. It's just, it kind of accelerated it. It kind of catalyzed it. So that's a long-winded way of just getting introduced to the concept of recession. Yeah, that actually makes sense. In, in a nutshell, you're basically saying there are aspects that have pushed it into a recession. And the common aspect is that there is, when there is no supply and when there is no demand, obviously there are going to be downturns. And if it continues I further... I change it the other way around. When there is no demand, demand. we don't care about the supply. So for example, we are doing hireworthy and stuff like that. And I, I, <laughs> I shouldn't be kind of uh, pushing it here, but recruiters are the first one to lose their jobs, by the way, because 
you will not have enough demand from the organization for more people. So recruiters are the first one on the line. The second one is we will find ways of, of generating sales. So there's no new business. So salesmen are the next you know, people who will get affected. And interestingly, people stop all marketing activities saying that we don't want to spend money in that, right? Pretty much all marketing slows down, stops. And so we are not creating new products, which means we don't need niche uh, or highly talented engineers that we pay for or talented, whatever, the subject matter expert. So that is pretty much what gets cut. Right. So like this, one by one, it will it will go into um, a very different path. The cycles are very important to understand. Right. I mean, typically we expect a recession every probably seven to nine years. So if you look at 2001, uh, we had dot com. But something will come and catalyze it. And we kind of put everything on it. But actually, it's just a cycle. It was just, you know, just going on. And 2008 was your subprime crisis. And, and I have been expecting it from 2016 onwards. I mean, that, that itself is late. So I thought it's going to hit us. But we have survived extra three more years. And now because of the virus, probably because the entire uh, globe is kind of locked down in many ways. So economic activity will reduce. This is the last time you will go and buy one Rado. Uh, you will go to a Thanish, you will kind of go ahead and splurge and spend in, in probably parties and stuff like, no, you will not, right? So when you don't spend, those businesses don't get money. When, when they don't get money, then they go through stuff. They have to cut their stuff. They have to reduce their raw material inventory, blah, blah, blah. The entire supply chain goes for a toss. So like this, it's, it's a domino effect. So it's a, it's a cyclical activity in many ways. So that's pretty much what we may hit and we may get into. We are in the process of going there. That's my assumption. Please prove me wrong. We are definitely getting there yeah. because a lot of businesses have slowed down, right? I mean, always in a recession, see everything, not just with recession, but look at any phenomena in this world, right? It's like a stick and... When you pick up one end, you have to pick up the other too. So when you kind of carry it, you kind of carry both the ends together. Uh, there will be businesses which are deeply affected by a recession, but there will be businesses which will boom in recession because they provide optimized value. And that is pretty much where we will kind of go into. While Indigo goes down, your Zoom will go up. I mean, this is a great time to buy a Zoom stock. Of course, uh, down the line, when everything settles down, probably what their valuation is today at 40 billion, probably may come down a little bit. Many Me Too's will also come in the market. So this that's a different conversation altogether. But what I'm saying is there will always be some businesses which are doing really well during recession. Um, there are some businesses which will definitely go down because of the nature of the business and the, the complexity of the cycles and stuff like that. When you say businesses that will do well, and as a designer currently working for all kinds of uh, startups or mm -hmm. any kind of problem that I want to solve, what should I choose? Because I do hear a lot about, you know, layoffs are happening, things mm -hmm. are, you know, dicey. We, we don't know. We can't predict things because of various aspects. What is one thing that I can at least control and say mm -hmm. that this is something that I can keep working on? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> okay. See, being a designer, we are also <laughs> the businesses see us as um, as frills, not as a core. Sometimes um, there are some really intelligent businesses which, which understands problem solving is the core. Um, so those businesses, you will not have much problem. But definitely, if you are a frill, if you are a cost center, in other words, you will be seen as a problem. So. To me, uh, designers should be seen in, 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 in only one light. Designers at the end of the day are problem solvers, right? And this is the time uh, you problem solving ability is in high demand. So somebody who can, who can bring in optimization, who can bring in efficiency, who can bring in effectiveness, who can bring in new ideas, who can kind of, how do you do more with less, right? I mean, that person is the one who will survive the recession. Forget about whatever you are called as a label, right? Um, whether you're a designer, product manager, doesn't matter, an engineer. But anybody who brings in value, at the end of the day, the definition of what adds value to a business is what is going to determine whether you are surviving or not, right? So, if you're a one-trick pony, you will definitely die in a, in, in a recession. This is the time where we should talk about full-stack designers because if you're able to do more, if you're able to kind of bring in different perspectives, if you're able to help the organization see things, instead of hiring six designers, if I get all of it in one designer, great. And if you are the uh, survival of the smartest, then you will definitely um, really make it. That's my view on how problem solving will e evolve. I have seen that every recession kind of, uh, when, when it goes away, right? I mean, when, when, when you kind of look backwards, I have seen that the entire landscape has been changed. Every single time, it kind of sweeps one and takes it away. When we come out of this recession, what will change? That's a very important question to ask. <laughs> your travel will change. The way you work will change. Your, your ability to use airlines and things like will definitely change. Last recession kind of took away, sweeped away middle managers and cubicles and things like that. So I am kind of very uh, bullish for designers because designers are, can go ahead and solve a problem in an effective, efficient, optimized manner. And that's what we are trained in. So in that being said, I think if you are one of those flexible, learnable, adaptable kind of a designer, you will definitely survive this recession. If you are, oh, I will do only research. I will do only customer journey mapping. I, I am I cannot do this. I cannot do that. That kind of designers will suffer because you need to be extremely skilled and nuanced uh, to go ahead and add value. So you should be able to kind of add so much value that the organization prioritizes you over everything else. They're willing to let go of 100 people and one versus the 100, they're like, oh no, we need this person. We can let go of. See, that's what will happen. I'm it may sound gross, but that's pretty much what it is. You, you are surviving that lot by uh, how much value you're going to add, right? So that is pretty much what uh, will make a problem solver survive. So if you're adaptable, if you're flexible, if you're knowledgeable, if, you're, if you bring in that kind of value, if you bring in ego, mindset, attitudes, um, you know, 
you're going to be in trouble. Uh, that's, that's, that's a way to really look at a recession. Uh, given the fact that uh, you mentioned that are the skills that I have to look at, it, because these are life skills, being adaptable, learnable, and all of these things, yep. right? Now, if I just look at the other way around, which is businesses, as you mentioned, some businesses really, really soar and all of that. What are those sectors which would really soar? I mean, at least as a prediction that you can see. Let, let's put it this way. You, we need to think in context and we need to be sensible. So if something can be done using 10,000, you know, rupees, dollars, doesn't matter. So if something can be achieved using $10,000 and if you can achieve in $10, great. And that's pretty much what a business will look at, irrespective of whatever business you are in. Even if you are a soaring business or a falling business, doesn't matter. Anybody who comes and optimizes it, they will definitely love it. This is the first time they will pay heed to optimization. So it is important to look at the context and see how can I really get something done um, very quickly. For example, maybe you are, you are developing an MVP and generally used to spend, say, $10,000 to kind of go ahead and put that particular, um, you know, the most valuable feature. Now, if you just go ahead and tell your organization that just give me a subscription for like $19 a month and I'm going to get this done for you in five days and we are not going to really spend 30 days in this, then you're making sense, right? And so far, probably they had so much money <laughs> that they will not listen to you. But right now, when you, when you say 10,000 versus 10 or 100, it kind of, it's music to ears. And they will listen to you. If you go ahead and say, I'm going to just test this in, in a quick prototype, I'm going to do, um, you know, whatever I, 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 we wanted to launch a particular campaign and I'm going to just, you know, put it out there using no code, low code. Those are all ways in which you are optimizing the whole conversation, right? So I think um, if you go ahead and say, I don't want to do usability testing earlier, you used to go and meet your customer. Today, if you go ahead and say, well, oh, I'll conduct it remotely, then it is important um, because you have cut down a lot of costs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if, if you were doing these uh, sprints and uh, if you were getting that entire gang into one, one room, typically a sprint gang, because it's a thinking gang, it's typically expensive. So if you can do this remotely, and now that we have proven to the world that we can work remotely, probably that would be a better way to optimize. We need to get to the heart of the problem quickly. We cannot be waiting for the entire consensus in the room. And uh, it's, it's a time, the ticking clock that really matters uh, during a time like this. So the urgency to solve the problem, the situation you know, kind of uh, demanding it, and you having the right mindset to do it, an ability to be a little more emotionally intelligent, which can help your organization to understand what are we talking about. And that all of this comes together and suddenly you become very important. So, so that's, that's how I would really look at uh, upskilling or rather think about ways in which you can, you can make sense in the context very quickly. So um, a designer like that will be gold, will be <laughs> sold faster. So to sum it up, be adaptable, be learnable, and figure out better ways to optimize everything, including cost of mass being money as well. 
so that you can show results in a much more easier it's and faster way. I can, yeah. can put it in one word. It's just, you know, having a lot of sense. And really, a designer means somebody who is in tune with the context all the time. Such definitions don't fly other times, but uh, right now you will understand that that's our jobs. And for example, you can go ahead and take a look at your budget sheet and say where you're spending what. And you will be able to kind of go ahead and have a big say on how your org spends. If you can go ahead and cut down their budgets by say 40%, even 20%, would they not welcome you? I mean, this is the time, right? So you are trained to think about you know, anything for that matter out of the box. So probably you will be able to optimize it better than your left brain boss. So there is no better person who will be able to propose a beautiful solution. And that word beautiful is important because um, solutions can come from anywhere and everywhere, but that's the trait of an innovator, isn't it? That is the most needed skill um, of a designer anytime, definitely in a recession time. Right. So I'll, I'll kind of uh, put it that way. That's what will become um, a recession proof designers characteristic, being sensible, being understanding the context really deeply, understanding the domain and empathetically understanding what is going on and what are we struggling with? And, and those are all important things to ask as great questions. And that those those meta skills, those life skills, as you mentioned, will take you in in places where you will be able to thrive in ambiguity, handle uncertainty with ease. Right. So that's pretty much what is needed. Yeah, that that makes sense now. A little hope, probably, at the end of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, um, it is what it is. Um, so if you really look at uh, the businesses that have come after a recession, right? They have been absolutely mind-blowingly creative and innovative. Your pretty much your Airbnb, your Pinterest, and all these brilliant businesses. I have a list, probably I'll send it to you. And these are all um, businesses which actually came as a result of a recession, a result of a 2008. I couldn't go and travel and live in a Hilton. So can I share your bed and breakfast? I mean, that's a way to think. And, and that's, that's what you need to really um, wonder about. How can I, I work as a recession designer all the time? I always think about my customer in such a way that, okay, why are you spending so much money? This is the first question I ask. And people wonder, am I even fit to be a consultant to ask such questions? But I'm taking care of their value in ways that they do not know. That's what they're paying me for. A consultant's job is to optimize, make it efficient and effective. And if you can't really do that much, if you cannot do it in a bull market, forget about you doing it in a bear market. So in many ways, you have to practice for seven years so that you can put your skills for that one year. And this is going to keep coming. Uh, I, I don't know if you're living in a world where you think that it's going to be hunky-dory all the time. Not at all. Not at all. So a recession is a great time. It, it is a test for innovation. It's a test for problem solving. That's how I look at it. I'm particularly not disturbed by the fact that, oh my God, we are getting into a recession, into a depression. Yeah, that's one another, you know, form of a cycle. And that's about it. The hype kind of completely comes down and you actually see what it is for. 
so that it's much more easier for us to navigate it once you know what it is actually is. Yeah. 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 So this is this is a core principle at least I live by. Your awareness is what will give rise to the right action. So what you're ignorant uh, of, right? It's so not bliss. I'm telling you, ignorance is actually very, very painful. What you don't know is very scary and it will rule you. So go ahead and know more about, you know, go to the root of the problem, go to the uh, deep dive and go to the depths of it and really understand the problem space completely because what you see obviously is not the problem at all. It's always in the non-obvious. So that is how a designer lives and you, you should be thriving in, in a recession time. That's my, um, I don't know, it's, I wouldn't want to put words like optimistic and all of that stuff, but that's how you are supposed to live. So go ahead and be a designer. That's all is needed. By a designer, you mean the life skills that we have to sharpen, which is learnability and all of those things as mentioned earlier. Yeah, absolutely. If you cannot stand out from the crowd, if you cannot be helpful, if you cannot add value, you will add more trouble. So if you are one more me too, if you are a one trick pony, this is not a place for you at all. In times like this, you should be able to add exceptional value, right? And doing more with less becomes super important. It's a very interesting question that we had gotten, especially from the business, which is how do they use design as a strategy? Right now, we've spoken about designers being themselves or standing out in different aspects or contributing the best they can. How about the other way around? Mm. What do you mean by the other way around? Are you saying design as a business strategy? Uh, because you mentioned design as yes, and it is a cost center for many companies because they've used it as an advantage so far. Now, how do I <laughs> to go through these times and uh, you know have it as a design as a strategy? Yeah. Okay, let's understand the word strategy first, okay? Um, because we do have a lot of lot of words floating around, and it's very very confusing on what the hell are we talking about. So let's let's clarify all of that. So strategy to me is an ability to say no, conscious no to things so that the yes that emerges out of all of these no's is, is like very well thought through. It's kind of eliminating things that you don't want so that what you want alone stays back. That's pretty much what a strategy is. So when I say that here is my strategy, I mean that I have said no to everything else that could could potentially come and distract this yes. That's what a strategy is. So when you take design as a business strategy, it means that you are a design-led organization and you are thinking about your customers' needs and wants, the context of, uh, of your customer, the desire of your customer will be in the central stage. You will not uh, put your top line, bottom line, your other departments because these are all different ways in which you 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 can run an organization completely a cost focused organization okay you can run a completely innovation focused organization you can run a completely operations focused organization you can run an organization just based on relationships okay so there is there are many ways in you, you in which you can really see a business so i would really when you say design as a business strategy i would really look at it as 
I am focused completely on my customer because your customer context changes, your business changes, and you have to be adaptable because you are running behind somebody who doesn't know where he or she is going. So this is, this is craziness. And only when you're prepared in your mindset like that, you will be able to run behind uh, your customer. So that's why customer obsessed companies, they just do what is needed. It is not what they planned in their, in their yearly uh, plans and uh, goals and objectives and stuff like that. You look at them very closely. They will say, ah, my customer needs this particular, you know, feature or value. And let's just go ahead and do it. It's critical. And they just do it. And they don't care about project planning, stuff like that. So that's what a design-led organization would do very differently. If you are a cost-led organization, you'll be like, you will keep penny pinching. You'll keep looking at numbers. You'll keep looking at, oh, this is, this is the cost. These are my fixed costs. These are my variable costs. How do I optimize it? You will spend your entire time just optimizing numbers. So it's a very different viewpoint. And that is pretty much what you should be doing. If you're a sensible organization, you should be a design-led organization in many ways because that's the only way you will be able to understand and be tuned in with your customer's context. If his life changes and if you need to not produce cars and you need to produce ventilators, you should be ready to. Because at the end of the day, we are just engineers, right? I mean, that's something that I love about these crazy entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, where they go and say, okay, right now cars are not needed. Shall I go and make masks and ventilators? That's a question to ask. And that's a design-led thought process. And to me, that's when that is your strategy, which means that you have said no to every other way of running an organization. If you ask me, I would, I would run an organization in a design-led way anytime, not just in the recession time, but even in normal times, because the person who is, who is bringing you cash flow, just your customer, is the person whom you should be kind of really helping with more value. And what better way to run a business? I, at least I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there are better ways and I have to learn, but uh, I have seen that this has been one of the best ways that we have been able to bring um, a lot of cash flow to all the organizations that I've been a part of. I, I distinctly remember this when I was in HP. This, this was the first conversation with my boss. My boss said, you know what? We are the market leaders, Karthi. We don't have to change anything. We just need to keep going and we will do really, really well because we, 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 we don't have any competition much in the inkjet, inkjet pro market, um, office jet pro market. And I'm like, but uh, the printer sucks boss. Uh, <laughs> I can't print in a printer. <laughs> you know, maybe you are the market leaders, but I'm, I'm, I'm just not able to understand this, but I'm not able to do things that it is supposed to do easily, which is print, scan, copy, fax. At that time there was fax also things like that. And later I told him, I don't even know how to print using this printer without being connected to a computer boss. I mean, this is pretty much what the customer is going through. He, he just looked at me as if I was an alien. I, I am just not talking sense. And I said, 
if uh, nothing is going to change, then probably you don't need a designer. And um, I had my beautiful resignation letter with me and saying that this is not uh, something that I, I, I know that you might not need a designer, but I need projects um, where we, we use the design brain. If I don't use it, it will be rusted. So this is not the place for me. And that was that coffee. I'll never forget. And I don't, I don't think even Dennis will forget that <laughs> because it was an eye-opening conversation for an engineering uh, driven company like HP. So for us to really go ahead and change it into, oh, Kayla, just tell me what are all the problems that the customers are facing, right? I mean, this is a Singapore organization. So it, he just couldn't digest the fact that we are not such great printers. I said, okay, let me do this. Bring me all your you know, customers. Give me a list and I'm going to select some eight or 10 of them. And I'm going to ask them to do some five tasks. And five of these tasks are simple, like print this document, uh, print this document two-sided correctly. Huh? Uh, even today, I don't think people can print double-sided document without a duplex, right? Uh, <laughs> duplexer. They should be able to scan and kind of store it in a computer. Like this simple task, like five cards I made. I said, I'm just going to make people do this. And I want you to sit behind that one-way mirror and watch this. Okay, this entire uh, study, I mean, today we are talking about usability studies. I'm talking about 2006. I did 1,200 studies in my tenure in, in HP where I had to prove that our customers struggle with this thing for which we are market leaders. Engineers will sweat after the study and they will be like, no, that's if they lost a part of them or part of their life. That's how it feels. They will take me for a coffee and generally they will order a milk coffee. So in, in Singapore, it's called kopio, which is a black coffee. So he needs more strength and he like, bring me two, bring me three. I have seen that. Okay. And that's what changing views, perspectives into a design-led organization will really become. You will completely go into the boardroom and of course with a smile and say that all that you're doing is not helping our customers. That needs a lot of one, conviction, two, <laughs> audaciousness. I don't know if it is called a courage, but uh, you know, if, if you're really, really, you know, customer obsessed, you will go to any extent. It's like a love story. You'll go ahead and fight with everybody and make sure, you know, you get what they want. And after we redesigned it in 2009, I mean, our cycle times so are two years. We tried our best to really produce it in eight months. But after that, we saw a jump in our sales by 19 million every month. Okay. For that, we needed to spend three years, please. How many organizations are willing to, how many designers are willing to really put their life and go ahead and kind of discuss tooth and nail about, okay, this blue LED, this white LED, this direct material cost, this wire, this, you know, touch screen, capacitive screen, resistive screen. How, how many? You need that passion for, for really going ahead and changing lives of customer. Today, you are looking at touchscreens everywhere in printers, and we were the pioneers of that. In many ways, we told our competition, please copy us, right? What has it done? It has changed the printing world. Forget printers. 
It changed the printing world. And that is what a designer should do. If you are able to really add value, your customers will trust you and buy from you. And that's the integrity that you need to continuously keep on. And to do that, whatever, to whomever, how much ever you need to talk about things, you should be able to talk. Otherwise, mm. every year I had this ritual of taking that white paper with me to Dennis. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 put that down. And, <laughs> and that's the only way I could really, really innovate. And I stayed in that organization for seven years. And every single year, it was an amazing way to bring in a totally new way of really looking at printing today we are talking about android and uh, you know at that time we talked about it as webos and um, uh, first i made the touch screen then i went ahead and said um, probably we should not have any screens that way we will cut away 25 dollars sitting on every single printer and my boss just couldn't understand what the hell i was talking about because the, the next wave is to see if I can use my, say, a smartphone. I have a screen. Why do I need a screen again on a printer? Can I go ahead and really dock it and print accordingly? So that's, that's how the thought process was. So you need to continuously keep tweaking, eating your own solutions, throwing it away, kill your own babies. It's important. And without that, metamorphosis is far, far away. This is the best time. And <laughs> that was my time, okay? The entire world was going through recession, 2008, right? So I joined HP in 2006, 2007. That's, thank God, you know, I had the UI, uh, I, I questioned the UI strategy and I came up with this touchscreen. And as luck may have it, because these things I attribute to luck only, Steve Jobs came up with iPhone 3 uh, at that time, 2007, 2008 was subprime crisis. Our sales was going down like crazy. We were able to slap only three user interfaces, okay? One was a 4.3 inch, really luxurious one. The other was 2.4 inch, very small touchscreen. And the other was probably a two inch, um, you know, monographic uh, display, MGD as we call it. So color graphic display is expensive, monographic display is very cheap. So same user interface strategies, but just done at a low cost way. If we did not think through this, we wouldn't have been able to release a desk jet, okay? So we just swimmed in, in recession without really going through so much stuff. And, and that is what is needed. And, and we were a thriving, design organization, a global design organization with 45 designers where everybody was getting fired and we were hiring, okay? Because that's, to me, that is, that is our job to go ahead and add value to our customers. I don't know what HP is doing now, but that is a time uh, that where we were able to go ahead and redefine printing, redefine how you really look at this printer. We went ahead and said, well, you don't need printers. You just need only one part and you can, we, we change the value propositions and just buy printers with these, these basic capabilities. All these bells and whistles you can add later because it's just a firmware based, um, you know, bells and whistles. You are not really adding it as a hardware. So these are all different ways to think about it. And if you are not ready from day one, tell me how we would be ready by 2008, 2009 when the recession is hitting you. 
So that's, to me, that's how we should be just living. But when time comes to optimize, just go give your grand ideas, <laughs> which you, you will be able to do it in, in very little time. So that's pretty much what I would, I would suggest. Um, it, to me, it's just living a normal designer life. That's it. Yeah, I, I understand from the business perspective as well that the people in the business as well are, are pivotal for all these decisions as well. Oh, yeah. without their help, uh, no day you'll be successful. Definitely during recession, no. So you need to show value. You need to show the savings in your PL and you need to know how to sell. You need to make a case for your customer. You need to make it very clear these are the considerations. And these are the alternatives, these are the options. And this is what I recommend. And they will be able to see through you what you're talking about, okay? When you don't have any agendas, when, when your agenda is only customer obsessiveness, you will be able to kind of showcase it uh, to your peers, to your colleagues, to your bosses, to stakeholders, to decision makers. So you, you will end up optimizing spend for your customer. That's your job, in, even in a normal day. Ability to articulate, ability to kind of put together, I call it as auditing, ability to audit the status quo and say that here is the big picture and we are having trouble here, 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 and here. And that is a skill by itself. And to me, those are all the skills that you should harness at this time. Yeah, don't go ahead and fight and say that I need to do this research. Think about how can I do this without research? How can I do this without primary research? We are not saying, um, see, somewhere we, we understand the fact that, oh, all research is primary research. Not at all. You could do a lot more. Work with your customer support, work with your customer success, work with your, just look at the Twitter feed. Just look at your product reviews in, in places like Amazon or, you know, product hunt and stuff like that. Just, just look at what people are really talking about. And that will help you to go ahead and make changes. I know that uh, you, know, you should go ahead and, and really listen to your customers, but when something is better than nothing, I thrive on optimization. It's okay if you don't have all the data, but the zero data is not a good idea. Yeah, because look at your brain. It works based on only the past impressions that it has gathered. So if you don't have any impression about your product, any impression about your customer, where are you even going to start? Blank slate is a scary place, okay? It's, it's very romantic to really talk about it, but in all honesty, it's very scary. You stare at a blank slate and tell me if you feel great and you're getting ideas. No, only when you kind of go through variety of data, that's when you will actually understand what your customer is going through. It's a bonus if you get to talk to your customer. I'm sure you're talking to more researchers, so you'll understand this better, but that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, that uh, makes sense because you've kind of given us an overview on how it is going to be on the business side, on how it is going to be on the designer side. I think this should prepare us with enough information to, I don't know, face it. Yeah, so we need to keep looking at how can I change the landscape? How can I think you you have to think big in such a way that you are able to go ahead and change that entire industry okay if we are not able to do that um i would say that we haven't really done our job 
because as innovators, when you leave a place, that place shouldn't look like what it was before. And to me, that's what a recession does to you. It kind of accelerates, it kind of puts you in, in that driver's seat. And with that responsibility, I think we can do more. I, I don't know about others, but I get super excited about opportunities like this because as a sensible problem solver, you will be able to see things in a very different light and you need support from all, all sort of, you know, whatever support you can get, you should get it. So it becomes all the more important that we come together. Generally, if you look at in a design process, the most difficult part of it is actually kind of bringing all the stick stakeholders in one page. This is a time where uh, I know everybody will be tensed and worried and all of that stuff, but it's important that you'll be able to change their ways of thinking as well. Here's an opportunity. You cannot evangelize design better any other time in uh, bringing systems thinking, systematic thinking to your entire organization. As a designer, you will have a big say. And for all you know, you may bring in a little more respect uh, to this profession. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think that gave a very rounded view of how to look at it, how to approach it, how to be prepared for the future and how to actually be optimistic about it. Because instead of looking at the downturns of this, of course, there will be losses, there will be gains, there will be both aspects. But said, how to take it in stride and go forward? When you really pick up a stick, you will have both sides. Yes. There will be good, there will be bad, there will be black, there will be white, mm -hmm. there will be core, there will be frills. Yeah. There, will, there will be something to kind of, you know, balance it out. So look at it holistically. I'm, I'm not even an optimist in that way because an optimist kind of skews and looks only at the good side of things. Yeah. You should look at it holistically. Otherwise, you will not be in a position to make decisions of, okay, what do I do in this um, particular scenario, which is a negative scenario mm -hmm. versus yeah. a positive scenario, right? Yeah. So I would say that have this innate optimizer in, in you on and look at, look at the world with a new pair of eyes, not just for this recession period, but hereafter, right? I mean, make sure that you are able to really see things in a light which will add value. I don't know how this will fly, but uh, as human beings, we are, we are value extractors, okay? Whether it is a relationship or an employment or a partnership or whatever, right? It's all about the, the mutual value that we keep exchanging with each other. The day that stops, everything else will fall down. So if you know this, um, I know there are a lot of frills around it. There are, there are divine terms to kind of call it. It's called love in a relationship. It's called, you know, integrity, value, all that BS in a business. But at the end of the day, the core of it is you give me these benefits. I give you these benefits and this is mutual. The minute we understand that, we will be able to innovate better. Stop all the distractions, stop all the frills around it. See things the way they are. That's pretty much how I will put things together. If the customer is wanting something, you should give that. Versus, oh, uh, if you give that, the customer will look at you. Remember, if your customer doesn't get the needed benefits 
from you, the customer has options. Yeah. So I, I can extend this across life and say in a relationship, the other person has options, yeah? has alternatives, has substitutes. So it's very important to kind of, if not this business, your employees have an option. Okay. The mutual benefit scheme works there also. Any relationship, any human, human interaction, you, we will always be value extractors. So this is the base of who we are. So what is there to run away from it? What is there to really decorate it with the, so many other words, which what it is not? <laughs> I, I, it may sound philosophical, but to me, this is the phenomena, the core phenomena of how everything works between a human, human. Look at it. If you don't add value, if you are actually going to degrade value, we will not mind being in a distance. Simple things, right? Today, even if it is your, you know, dearest and kith and kin, and it's your own family, your blood. Today, if you have a virus, I don't think you will go near. I don't think so, right? And that is important. That is important for us to know about um, the, the nature of this beast. That's who we are. The minute you understand, this is what your behavioral psychology, your social psychology, your, um, to a large extent, you, you, you are talking about it in your behavioral economics as well. These are all the things that we are trying to understand about this thing called as a human being. Complex uh, human being. But complexity, yeah. yeah. But uh, in many ways, it's also simple. Just ask one question. Am I adding value? The minute you answer that question, okay, let's define value also so that we are not very confused about um, you know, the word. If I have some currency in my pocket, okay, and if I treat it as my most valuable asset, whatever you are giving, okay, Listen to this part very, very carefully because whatever you are giving should be more than what I have in my pocket as currency. Okay? We are always deal makers. You always want to get more than what you pay for. And that is what is beautifully termed as value. So to me, it's first important to know if this person really values what you are giving more than what he or she has in the pocket. And this will change every day. That kind of answers the whole thing. Because the minute we understand that, you will be able to see the problem space very, very differently. Many times they don't know that using that currency that they have, they can get a lot more. The minute they, they are exposed to this greed, they will love it and, and they cannot go back. That is what your disruptive innovation is all about. Oh my God, I can just do this so quickly and it will come home if I just order it like this. Oh, I can just scan and pay. Oh my God, I don't have to really go ahead and have an... If you really put in, this is a bad time to really talk about PMS and all, but your portfolio management services, if you have ever been through banks and all, they will say 25 lakhs minimum. What does Scriptbox do? 5,000 rupees, no problem, just open it. Things that I did not have access to, today I'm having access to, and that is valuable, right? And with zero fees, with the, I don't know how much they get paid because 
you know of 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 the mutual benefit scheme they have with the mutual funds providers but that's pretty much what it is so you need to keep continuously thinking about how can i make uh, it more valuable for my customer so that's innovation 101 for me but that's that's what a designer should be doing every day yeah that makes sense so we've covered all aspects i'm actually very excited that we've gotten a very good perspective on uh, especially coming future no matter future even just as a higher perspective that is required for designers or anybody who is want to be in the problem solving business that is a very um, if you want to say a high level perspective or a meta view of all things you could say that um first thing first we need to define who a designer is hmm. that definition itself is very shaky today and that bothers me because if if you are not knowing what you are into how are you going to add value to others yes doing thyself comes first mm-hmm. only because you know yourself so well you will be able to go ahead and work with others yes that yes. is your colleagues now you and your colleagues are working together and working for somebody who is totally unrelated in this and who is called as your customer so if you don't even know who you are if you don't know how your system works with another system called as your colleagues and stakeholders and how are you going to together combat so the internal distractions will be far more before you even go ahead and reach the customer externally for me <laughs> combating viruses everywhere is your everyday job because you need to keep this distraction away so that you can keep adding value to to your customer and that's where you should be heading to as a designer um i always felt designer is is on one of the highest forms of the god's creation yeah uh, yeah i used to say as software joke and it doesn't go very well with men but uh, let's let's spare them in this but it's very important to know that to know what is your responsibility in this in this uh, time that we are living and if we can really bring value um so in times like this i think this is people will will appreciate uh, what you're doing yeah and that's all is needed that's all is our job actually <laughs>